Welcome to episode 24 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my easygoing co-host, Eddie Kramer. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Mr. Kramer, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, Winston. And we have a guest tonight. Chris, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Chris, and I was on here a previous episode, and I'm back again to talk about a bunch of stuff. Great. We're really happy to have you back. Where did we leave off with you last time? Like, what was your, your life state when you recorded? Uh, I think at that time, I don't remember if I had started my new job or I was in the process of looking for one. You just started MR Molds, I believe. Yeah, so I've been there for a little over three months now, um, and everything is pretty great. It feels weird to kind of show up to work in the morning and get paid for something that I would do for fun. Um, it's kind of like a strange feeling. It's a surreal feeling, actually. So how was that that transition? Like, because I mean, when we last talk, I mean, you're a pretty accomplished hobby machinist, but like going into that CNC design job from a at a professional perspective, how did that that transition work out for you? Um, it worked out because I kind of just got through it. It was really uh, nerve wracking for me because, you know, I got in there and I don't really have any experience in the professional field, right? Like, I don't know. I'm so used to being the guy that does everything, right? We design, we, we manufacture, we set up on the CNC, we produce the part, we do our own QA, we do our own social media marketing and we sell the product, right? But at, at my new job, like I'm only strictly in design. And my whole job is just to engineer molds and design the molds. So it was a whole new kind of experience to be like, okay, I designed the mold and I hand off these blueprints that I made to the machinists and the EDM guy and, you know, the whatever, and they'll make everything. And then after they make everything, they send it to the assembly guys who put it together. And then the assembly guys will move it to the next stop, which is the guys who actually put it on the machines to run and parts to make sure that they pass like customer inspection. So um, it's kind of cool. And kind of, kind of cool that, you know, you get to be a part of something, but I, I still miss the days where like you get to do everything because that's when you get to learn the most. Did you have any trouble transitioning into like sort of just deep diving your sort of one area of expertise? Yeah, it was really hard. Um, you know, I don't, I wasn't familiar with GD&T. Um, I wasn't familiar with doing 2D prints for other people. You know, like it's one thing when you design something and you got to make prints for yourself. Actually, you probably don't even need to make prints for yourself. But when you need to convey the information to somebody who isn't a designer and making sure that they understand like what this is for, what are these holes in position for and what to look out for? Is this going to, is this screw hole on top of a water line? Is that going to be a problem if they overdrill? You know, just there's a, there's a lot of those things that I had to learn and I had to learn very quickly because they were just throwing work at me like nonstop. And basically their way of teaching is to just put me under the fire and just to learn as fast as I could. So and I appreciated that because that's the best way that I do learn because there was, you know, I had to learn a whole new software. I, I, I'm not familiar with Creo uh, or PTC Creo, and I had to learn that in the first couple of weeks. Um, that was a little nerve wracking because they, they do things a lot differently than I'm, what I'm used to in Fusion or SolidWorks. Um, and then shortly after that, like actually learning how to like dimension stuff on a 2D print for other people, then just kind of generally le learning the workflow of the job. Like we get a purchase order, 
you know, we have a file system, we have a way to do things to release files to the shop and how the guys in the shop see those files, like a, a way that we c communicate with the customer. And there's like all this like administrative stuff that we had, I had to pick up on. Um, and then after all that, then it was like, okay, now you got to learn how to make molds. So here are all these rules for silicone mold injection, you know, like draft here, you can undercut here, uh, make sure the water lines are hundred thousands from the screw here. And it was like, my brain was basically fried every day coming home from work. Cause there's just so much information that I was trying to like remember and not forget, you know? And I actually thought I was doing a really bad job and I was scared that I was gonna get fired because I felt like such a fraud. Like I'm like the hobby guy, kinda, I snuck my way into the professional industry and they were gonna catch me, but um, seems like everything's okay. So I'm still there. Do <laughs> you think you'll get an opportunity to run the machines there at some point? Uh, you know, so it's funny, I had a conversation last week with some of the guys and I have to make a decision because I, I do have the opportunity to be their five axis programmer. I can run the Yazda. I can also learn to do the CMM, EDM sinker, EDM wire machine and the graphite machining thing or the high efficiency milling machine. But I'd have to give up my place in design because there's no way for me to do both. Um, I kind of have to choose. And this is where I'm at as far as like my fork because I want to do it all. I have that desire and the hunger to learn. but. I feel like design's where I need to be because that's something that I probably won't be able to Google and YouTube on my own. And it's where I'm going to learn the most. And it pains me to have to give up the ability to use a five axis and CMM. But I feel like those are things that I can pick up with the pocket and see, or I can learn on my own elsewhere. I feel like I've been given an opportunity to learn silicone injection molds. And if I can do this right, then I'll secure like a better future for me, you know, tomorrow. So it, I mean, I want to do it, but they just, you know, they're like, there's no way you can do both because there's always so much work there. And, you know, when design finishes, you know, all that stuff we we finish goes into the shop and the guys are hustling over getting all the stuff that I just designed. And then there's more design coming in. So there's no way that I'll be able to like, just pick up, leave my seat, go to another room and do all the other stuff. And you, you kind of have to choose, right? And you have to give up something. So, um, I've personally decided like what I just said, which is what I think is it's better for me to be in design because that's where I'm the weakest at as far as on a professional level. And I have the most to learn there from the people that are so experienced around me. And hopefully in the future, I'll be given another opportunity to do five axis and CMM and EDM stuff a little bit later. But I, I don't want to lose my spot in design just yet. Does your new employer run the design people like new design people through the production floor so they kind of at least get some idea of the challenges involved in, you know, when they hand their designs off that these things actually have to be made and have to be machinable. And, um, cause you know, you hear that right. And a lot of, uh, manufacturing environments, like the engineers and designers are kind of decoupled from the production floor. Right. And sometimes that leads to issues around, uh, manufacturability and, you know, things that, basically there's insight potentially missing right on the design side about how things get made and um, challenges that say a machinist might have to deal with in a particular design that could have been avoided. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess for, for me, because on my resume, I kind of had some machining experience. Uh, most of the time when they're training me, they if it was something new, we'd walk out to the shop and we'd, we'd see what I was designing. So he was really good about taking me out there and be like, okay, this is the plate you're, you're touching today. Here's what you're removing. This is what we're fixing. 
here's why we need to do this because this is too close to that. It's causing a problem on the machine. So he's a lot of visual like learning, which is great for me because that's how I learn. Um, and on top of that, my supervisor is actually really experienced as far as like he's done a multitude of things. He's not just a designer, but he's also been a machinist for most of his life. And he's he's done a lot of like wheel work and he's worked in a lot of like di- different backgrounds. He's a lot of experience from different fields. So he knows like you can't you can't mill a square corner like he knows like this end mill is not going to do that or this is going to take longer to machine. Don't design like this. So he's he already has a lot of that insight. So he's been feeding. I've been feeding off of him a lot most of the time. Speaking of new machines, do you have uh, a new toy at home? <laughs> I do, actually. I've been so lucky to have been graced by the presence of uh, Pocket NC V250. Um, got it, unfortunately, the Thursday that I was leaving for Maker Faire with Winston. Uh, we actually got to watch the FedEx guy pull in as we were pulling out, so it was a little sad for me that I had to wait a whole weekend to come back and you know, open it up. I saw the pained expression flash across his face as we were about to pull out of the parking lot, and we see the uh, the FedEx truck there, and he just, he had this like, this anxious look on his face like can can we like stop the car so i can go pick up my pocket and see <laughs> yeah i mean that thing is like 88 pounds i did not want i didn't want to make my girlfriend try to pick that up from the mailroom and and so. also eight grand you kind of don't want that sitting in the mailroom right 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 um yeah so we got that as right before we left and then uh, came back and it's just been taking my time to put everything together. I had to clean up a bunch of space because, you know, I, I do everything in an apartment. So I only have this one corner and I was starting to fill it up. Um, and I still had Winston's machine at the time. So I was trying to finish a project on that. But I finally got everything up and running. I got lights in the in the enclosure. And unfortunately, my air compressor is not strong enough to feed this machine. So I, I ordered a proper one, which will be here on Friday. So I haven't unfortunately haven't been able to run the spindle yet. Yeah, you're almost there. I think um, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of what you do with the the V250. I just don't see a lot of like V250 social media other than my own, so I'm really I can't wait to see what what you do with it. And I, I know there's some other ones starting to show up in the field, um, just because I get some questions, you know, over Instagram about the machine from people that, that just received theirs, but I haven't seen anyone post anything yet. So that, that's going to be awesome once you get, uh, kind of get some parts cranking out on that machine. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, coming back from Make It Fair really revitalized my inspiration to buckle down and get a YouTube channel going. And I think one of the things that I'm really focused on right now is basically sharing like the transition from three axis to five axis and also, you know, really shining the light on the pocket NC. Cause like, you know, for an eight, nine grand to have a five axis machine in your living room is, is ridiculous. Like it's unheard of. You could, you have to 10 times that amount to even get something close. So I want to be able to share like on a hobby level, like what I can do on this machine kind of like what I did with the Nomad. I really like to push boundaries. So, you know, I want to mach- I want to mill stainless steel. I want to hit tool steel. I want to do titanium. I'm like, you know, wh- I want to see how far I can go with this 50K spindle. And I'm really excited to get that. And hopefully I'll be disciplined enough to film it all and edit and get everything going and get the YouTube channel going as well. Winston, eventually you're going you're gonna to want to do the V250 edition, uh, I think, at your shop. Once you start seeing, uh, especially what Chris is cranking out there. Yeah, that's very likely. But um, I've like the next project I've got sort of in my mind for the pocket NC is going to be 
um, probably walnut and maple. So like, I kind of want to try and push like a three sixteenths inch or like a quarter inch end mill. Um, so I don't know. There's there's certain use cases where the like I hate to say it, but the the slower spindle might actually be a better fit. Oh yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely uh, it's definitely the for bigger tooling the V two ten is still the the champion of the two machines. Um, yeah, I think the best case scenario is to have what you got, which is a V two ten and a V two fifty, so you can pick and <laughs> choose. Um, but one day I do want to taste those those sweet sweet RPMs. Yeah, it's just it's. Um, I mean, you get. I think the shape up goes benefits from the same kind of effect. You know, just that higher RPM seems to higher RPM small tooling seems to handle metal a little bit better than low RPM lower cutting pressure. I need to go through uh, Vince Fab's feed to see what the smallest tooling he runs is, but I don't know. Just something about a not precision balanced router at thirty thousand RPM kind of throws me off. Like I. I hesitate to put like tooling smaller than like a 16th inch in there and run at those speeds yeah that's true i keep forgetting the the run out still kind of an issue on the trim routers i don't know there's there's oh i can't run at those rpms without putting more thought into it and just having a nsk spindle is just a really nice thought uh, um i had this do you think this idea would work if i got the four millimeter a chb call it and have my coworker at work use the EDM hole popper to make it like fit a three sixteenths. Three sixteenths is like four something. Like one really important thing with that NSK is balance. Everything has to be balanced to forty thousand RPM, right? Or fifty thousand right. RPM. So right. um, the call it is kind of balanced from NSK. Just as long as you don't lose that, it might work. But the other thing you got to worry about is. Um, I think the NSK, like the, if you look at the spindle, it's actually really small bearings. Um, so bigger tool is going to put a lot of load on that front bearing. So yeah, it's probably, I think I have to go back and look. I think the NSK manual kind of suggests like maximum stick out and maximum diameter more from a durability of the spindle perspective than, hmm, okay. yeah. Um, but I don't know, three sixteenths might, might fit. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you guys, so you went to Maker Fair, that was last weekend, right? We're recording on the uh, 26th, so you guys uh, drove up there together? Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, I, I, I personally kind of regret um, renting a Ford Fusion, but <laughs> other than that, it was a pretty good trip. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to drive up there. Um, it was fun to listen to Winston hate on the Ford Fusion as well for 10 hours. You know, I, I will say for all the grief I give that car, when I got back in my own car, as soon as I hit the highway, I had this wave of dread because the Ford Fusion, despite being a very mediocre car, was still quieter than my car at highway speeds. And that's like kind of the driving factor for me to try and get rid of that car as soon as I can. Did you guys uh, end up getting a tour at Autodesk? We no. did not. I, I tried to just like throw it out to my contacts like, hey, it'd be nice if we get if we could get in. But Everyone was busy and like it, it didn't work out, but we still managed to go to the gallery, which was kind of neat. Oh, the yeah, design we, gallery? We, we did stop by Pier 9, but we just kind of huddled through the window and got to we see all the We pressed our machines. noses against the glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the design gallery is really cool, um, seeing all the things they have on display there and everything. Neither, I, I know, Winston, you, didn't, you spoke at 
Maker Faire last year, this Bay Area Maker Faire, and this year you were kind of just going as a, I'd say, an observer, right? Enjoying the experience from a... Last year, what did I... Oh, someone, someone like, uh, suggested I apply, so I did, and it, it, my talk got folded into a panel, and this year the lineup, like, the DIY content creator stage is growing, um, so the, they have bigger and bigger names, and I, I feel like it'd be harder and harder to, to land a panel, um, granted I haven't tried, but I just, I, I really didn't feel like sort of pushing myself to speak, because... Um, a lot of people there, they talk about like general things like how to succeed or like how to work as a team, like the I like to make stuff group. Um, they, they had all four of the, uh, the the members there talking about their different roles in the production of I like to make stuff content. Um, so I, I just feel like maybe I wouldn't have been quite as good a fit unless like there's a make electronic stage where they talk about like Raspberry Pi projects, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to to have a digital fabrication focused talk when you're in the midst of so many big names. Is it kind of predominantly uh, electronic hacking and woodworking, right? Kind of that's the main. Um, not even like woodworking so much. The it's more just like YouTube and content and the personalities um, that are being showcased on the uh, content creator stage. Because that's kind of like the big push, um, just like the 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 people, like the the sort of figureheads of the community are what draw people, and that's sort of what they're leveraging um, to to get people's attention, just use their publicity, and um, that that's kind of like what the the big draw is for them. Yeah, so they're they're not doing like an education thing there, right? There's not hands-on classes, or is there? I'm, I'm assuming it's more just kind of a social gathering and maybe some project showing off of some project work from previous. If uh, you're specifically looking for education, you can find it. Um, but what draws the crowds and, and what sort of um, uh, paraded around is like the, the community aspect of it. So just the people you can interact with and, and just hang out, chat with them. Um, this year at the stage, they added like a little area because um, after the talks, like people tr- tend to try and like swarm the, the stage and, and like uh, talk with the, whoever was speaking one on one. So this year they had a little area off to the side where you could actually like uh, just sit down and, and chat with people. Um, so they're they're really doubling down on the uh, like face to face interaction. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that's kind of the term fair to me kind of implies it's going to be more informal and really just a chance to meet like-minded people. Right. Um, some of who, some of whom happen to have very large followings on Instagram or, or YouTube, but, uh, yeah, this was, you know, this was my first time going there and I could say that as we were going there, I, I expected this to be something completely different. I was expecting to go there and basically try to talk to, you know, the companies that were there at booths and stuff. I, I didn't realize until, you know, midday after the Saturday that we went there that it has nothing to do with the stuff that's there. It has everything to do with the people that are there. 
you know, it's all about the connection, the networking and like meeting people that you've been watching for years and getting to hang out with them. I mean, like, you know, we ended up eating dinner with Jimmy Duresta at a Mexican restaurant. It was like surreal. And that's the kind of stuff that you can't even make up. And I I have to say, being my first Maker Faire, I I got really lucky with the experience. uh, And I I have to thank Winston for most of that, (laughs) that good stuff for happening. Oh, that's that's just me knowing like who to latch onto and and say like, hey, you got dinner plans. Um, <laughs> so, did you guys see uh, what, what was kind of your, I guess, the most exciting thing you guys saw there? You can go first, Winston. <sighs> Why do you have to put me on the spot like this? <laughs> well, let's maybe maybe rephrase the question. Did you see anything um, that's kind of got you inspired about your next project? Um. Not really. I mean, there's there's people who I came across who do really cool work um, that might sort of inspire projects. Um, but I was sort of like, I was really just there as a passive observer and to show off the longboard. Um, there's a couple cool uh, cosplayers. One of the guys did a Elysium exoskeleton um, with like almost full articulation. Um, it's basically just, uh, the actuators that would be on that suit are just, uh, open pipes that slide in and out. Um, but he arranged them in a way that he got almost full range of motion, which was pretty cool. Um, Kurt Chan pointed us to, uh, Shory Designs, uh, David Shory. He does 3D printing on, um, flexible substrates. So, like, you, you stop a print halfway through, you embed a layer of mesh or fabric in it, and you keep printing. And then the pieces that get printed are, are stuck to a flexible fabric. Um, and I, I saw that he was doing a collab with a couple other YouTubers, so I'm curious to see where that goes. Um, but in terms of strictly inspiring what I'm going to make next, not, not really too much. How about you, Chris? Did you see anything that uh, you thought um, was... Uh... The, the coolest thing that I saw that blew my mind was, I think there was a company called Furion Exobionics. They, they basically created like this giant mech suit and there's a guy that like pilots it. And he did, I, I had a, I took a video of, uh, on my Instagram, but you know, he demonstrated going in and uh, moving the legs and, and basically I think they like race with them or something. So that pretty much blew my mind because that's like a Gundam suit being piloted by a human being like in real life. Um, as far as like the craziest thing that I saw. But I think overall for me, what was inspirational was just talking to these people that I've been watching, you know, like meeting them and seeing that they're just regular people and they're just doing the things that they love really made me realize like there's that that there's importance for everyone to kind of step in and do this as well. You know, everyone's got something different to offer. So it really made me realize how important YouTube is as well if you want to kind of put yourself out there and build a brand, so to speak. Yeah, so you mentioned YouTube earlier. Um, so you, are you thinking kind of a machining, like project-focused YouTube or, or more of a techniques and tutorial style or a little bit of both? I don't know if I'm good enough to do like how to tutorial stuff. I think I'd be more comfortable with just showing what I do. I'm not sure if I'd be smart enough to like go out there and be like, this is how you should do it. Um, but you know, the, the problem is I, I've always had this kind of itch to do music stuff as well. And I'm not sure if there's a way for me to blend the two together. Um, like music producing and, and making songs has always been a passion of mine. And if I can, 
figure out a way to blend the CNC machining with the music on there somehow without diluting the channel to some kind of weird thing. I think that'd be kind of cool. But if I had to pick one thing, it definitely would be to focus on uh, three axis and five axis machining and the tra the transition between the two and uh, maybe basically just proving that these desktop machines have a place in the manufacturing world because I think a lot of times people see these little dinky things and they think like oh you can't do anything serious with them and I mean you're making you're basically whole room is like in a commercial factory and you're making parts for I don't know all this crazy stuff so you're one of the prime examples you know that I also want to be the guy that maybe shows if there's a way that we can use desktop machines to make you know, injection molds and then do at home desktop injection molding process to do mass production as well. I think that's kind of where my focus is want to be is to prove that we can do big things and in, in, on small machines at home and compete on a smaller level. Yeah, exactly. It's all, all comes down to scale, but um, well, that's good. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where you go with your channel and, uh, Maybe that'll be enough inspiration for me to finally get mine going. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm at the point where I know what I want to do with my channel. Um, and now it's just really finding time, which is going to be hard because it's, I'm assuming it's like an order of magnitude more commitment than keeping up with uh, an Instagram feed. Yeah, you know, Winston and I talked about this, you know, at what point do you decide when to say, okay, I can't be the guy that films and, and makes the stuff and programs and edit the video? Because I feel like I'm already at that point. Even though I haven't made one video yet, I feel like I don't have enough time during the week to do everything. And I may need to hire somebody to help me edit these videos so that they can, you know, it's, it's better for me to just focus on designing and programming and filming and then let someone else do the editing with my vision in mind, like me telling them how I want the channel to kind of grow and, and, and to be seen. But have you ever thought about doing that? Because that's something I've already am thinking about so that I can just get this going as opposed to me spending 10, 12 hours learning how to edit properly and, you know, making sure that it's the way that I want it. Yeah, I think having an Aaron would be great, <laughs> if you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, um, well, like one thing I might suggest is Upwork. See if there's, uh, I think there's some video resources out there. I just don't, I think is you know, at some point you want to kind of develop your own voice, I guess. So, like, you'd almost need a relationship with, an ongoing relationship with your editor to keep the same theme right in the video. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I was... I was thinking like the compromise would be, okay, I would do like, you know, three to five videos so that I can set the tone and the visual. And then I can hire somebody after that to kind of follow in those kind of footsteps. Yeah. And, and then I, like I said, like you said, I, I don't want to just hire somebody randomly. I want to hire someone that can kind of stay with me and kind of grow with me as the channel gets hopefully bigger. Yeah. And um, the good news is you're in LA, so, or near, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of talent around there. Um, yeah. So I, I'm kind of leaning the different direction. Like if I get my YouTube going, it's probably going to be less produced, I guess, and more kind of focused on the actual machining um, and project work. You know, I guess less narrative. Um, there's, a, there's a style out there that I like that's uh, on YouTube that I don't know how appealing it is <laughs> i think uh, i kind of want to go that that direction once but i have to have like something interesting enough to show so it'll probably be uh like occasional content on youtube um especially if i want to delve into something i've shown on instagram but i want to kind of go into it a little more detail more than i can show on instagram 
So yeah, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you you stick to the thing that you want to do because that was the question I asked all these famous YouTubers, right? It's like they're not trying to always make videos that they think are going to be big. They're focused on. They're kind of doing the thing that they really love, and once in a while they'll they'll try to do something that tailors to like the mass populace. But generally, their their advice is you just got to do what you love, and that'll show through the video. And somebody there's gonna be a bunch of people out there that like your style, and you'll start to see that, and you know you'll you'll grow from that as well. Out of curiosity, Eddie, uh, who would you try to model your channel after? Um, Edge Precision, I think, is the. I remember if that's his name. So it's. Uh, Peter Stanton, he's on Instagram and on uh, YouTube, and I can't remember which. He's Ed, Edge Precision on one of those channels. I think it's on the YouTube channel. Um, it's I've talked about him before on the podcast. Basically, he's he's like a one man shop. Uh, he's got a big Mazak Integrex uh, Milturn machine, and he just kind of he most of his projects are big oil and gas parts, so they're usually multi week projects, and he just you know, there's very little um, narration. It's just kind of a little bit of description of the operation and a whole lot of machining video. It's like, it's my favorite channel <laughs> to watch on. Yeah, or favorite machining, one of my favorite machining channels to watch. But because um, it's really, I mean, he does really good work. And it's like way over my head. He, and he shares a lot about kind of process and technique as he's going. So I'd learn, you know, I almost always learn something from one of his videos, even though I don't have those kinds of machining challenges, <laughs> both the size of material and the, the difficulty of the material that he works with is nothing like what I'm dealing with here. Um, but yeah, it's, that's kind of, I like that style and I might kind of go try something along that, that line for my, at least for initial videos. Nice. I figured you weren't going to be, uh, uh, trying to inject a sense of humor like this old Tony or anything. Yeah, it's not going to be an Evelyn and Caitlin <laughs> uh, style. But uh, cats with tape, nope. I don't think I'll... I don't have the... Uh, I, I could never bring out that kind of production value. I don't think I don't have the time to to put footage together like that. Uh, as much as I enjoy it, I just don't think that's my strong area. So uh, It'll just have to, have to fit in somehow with what I'm already doing. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of doing what I'm already doing. And if there's a camera rolling, uh, all the better. Right. But, um, yeah, I kind of really want to reflect what's going on in my shop and not really be like tuning my shop to put out video. Like it's kind of the other way around. I want the video to be more reflective of what's, you know, whatever activity is going on here. That's fair. So Chris has the new V250. How about you, Winston? You working with, I, I think last time we talked, you were working on a, Converting a shape up go to a, a camera dolly. Oh yeah, that, I'm still working on that. So I recently acquired a DJI um, Osmo Pocket, one of those little tiny like six, six inch tall gimbals, and it worked out pretty well at Maker Fair. And so now my next step is to try and put that on a shape Oko, um, because you can hook that up to a phone and use the phone to control pan and tilt um, dynamically. So I should be able to just set the CNC moving with the Osmo mounted in the spindle mount and then do like a tracking shot or um, some other just cool little cinematography tricks. Um, and hopefully I can get some, some nice uh, glamour shots of the skateboards or longboards um, for the final video in the Carbide Cruiser series, which hopefully will go out 
either this week or next week. I'm waiting to get a, a couple snippets of uh, DIY anodizing um, to sort of just like give a summary of what that process is because I didn't manage to get any footage of the boards at the uh, anodizing vendor that we used. So um, I'm really just right now just trying to wrap things up because um, I'm sitting on like 200 gigabytes of footage and a full SD card that I'm afraid to erase until after this project is out the door. Um, but camera slider with Shapeoko extrusion or just using an entire Shapeoko, that's that's on the, the agenda, um, hopefully in the next week or two. Uh, you might see some snippets of that on Instagram right now. All I'm going to do is basically uh, machine out a 69 millimeter puck to drop in the spindle mount and then just run a quarter 20 bolt through it because I have a little um, mount that uh, you can bolt to or attach to a tripod and it'll hold the uh, the Osmo at a relatively fixed angle and that that should be all I need. So you mentioned the longboard that you took you took it to Maker Fair. How'd that go? Did you get a lot of uh, feedback? It was the greatest conversation starter ever. Um, last year I brought a, a wooden lightsaber. That was great. Um, but everyone sees a longboard on your back, um, or they see the person you're with. Uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to have Alice just lug around a skateboard for me, and that was a lot easier to sort of just like, if anyone asks, I don't have to pull it out of my pocket. I can just grab the one I gave her and just show it off. Um, and there was, there was a lot of, a lot of interest. Um, people who... Most of them were people who who watch my channel, um, but every now and then you go up to a booth and they they look at it, they give you a funny look, and they're like, "Is that aluminum?" Well, obviously, like what else would be shiny and massive and and weigh like eight pounds? Um, <laughs> but there's there's a lot of disbelief there too, like that a little CNC router could do it. Uh, but I mean that that's kind of the point, right? To to show people like what's possible, um, and so I, I enjoyed it and. Uh, couple people got to ride it and uh it was a good time yeah i think you know the whole point of the project and then being able to show it off at a place like maker fair is kind of raising the bar for the types of projects that someone might be tempted to tackle with the uh, you know something like the shape oko right it's probably one of the most inexpensive cnc machines you could put in your house or in your garage and yet it can make a big part like that that's functional and gorgeous <laughs> in the end looked really good um that I, that was definitely the best part was seeing people's reaction when Winston told them, "Yeah, I did this on a Shapoko." Because there's there's definitely like a like a what like, and it was it was fun to see that definitely all day. And then just giving them the the actual piece so that they can like flip it over and and like just see all the detail, um, just that process of them just taking it all in and just examining every square inch they can. Yeah, I think um, you know we kind of take it for granted maybe because. We work with these machines like all the time. We're, I think the three of us are pretty familiar, like with what they can do. But um, I, I tend think to, it's to say we're in the the ninety ninety fifth percentile. Yeah, but I forget there's <laughs> you know there's there's a large group of people that they're familiar with the machine or you know the brand but don't know like that that kind of project. Like I was in that group before I had one of these machines. I, I would have never thought that I could do anything like that. So. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. And I know John Grimsmo's slowly getting his shape of go together. I think it's gonna be pretty good to see what he does with it and kind of where he 
where he pushes the limits if he gets around to doing that. Um, if he shows it, I'm assuming he's going to show some shape buckle projects. I know he's got, he plans on kind of rolling that into his production, uh, some of the ancillary stuffers production workflow, but yeah, it's kind of a busy time for him though. I mean, like he just added two spindles, a shape Oko and a lathe. So, uh, might be a while before we see too much from him. Yeah. I guess I was trying to say his, his shape Oko is not a project machine, right? It's going to be, I think at least initially doing a couple of specific parts that he uses in his production process. Um, not final knife. Well, I don't know. He mentioned inlay, so who knows? It might actually end up with typical parts on a, a Norseman or one of his other uh, creations someday. He did mention that I think Sky was going to be like the sole owner of that Shapoko. So hopefully, you know, Sky can get on that and start pumping stuff out. Yeah, I think uh, like, it sounded like the immediate need was to to be able to manufacture more of the uh, the Garolite or G10 discs for the lapping machine. So that's uh, that's Sky. Sky runs that machine, so I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> he's get first dibs <laughs> on the on the shape buckle once it's together. So um, I was thinking, you know, kind of it sounds like Maker Fair wasn't really it's not really a learning place. It's more of networking. But um, we've got a pretty good learning venue coming up here in August. Uh, I think both of you guys are going. I'm going. I'm talking about the uh, Autodesk Fusion 360 Academy. This is like the first yeah. year they're they're oh, putting we're that. Going. Up. We're going to be in Portland for longer than you. Yeah, that's true. And yep. um, so this is Autodesk's first year for that, is my understanding. Um, it's kind of like I take it as going to be the you know, very similar to the content, the fusion content that would be that you would typically be able to find at uh, Autodesk University. Of course, AU is focused on much more than fusion, right? It's uh, fusion is a very small part of AU. Because uh, Autodesk makes a huge, huge range of products that not only a small part, it's like related to manufacturing. So I kind of, I'm excited about, I liked AU last year. I really liked the networking piece of it. Um, but there was, you know, I kind of felt like I was paying for a lot of stuff that I was not going to benefit from. You, you know what I'm saying? Because you're paying, it was such a broad conference and they got to recoup their costs. Um, I like the idea of this kind of focused fusion conference where it's shorter, right? I don't have to be away so long and um i'm not really compromising on the content i think you know it's going to be like all fusion all day long for two days i'm really excited about it and it's also like five percent of the cost yeah that's that's yeah. the point it's like because au is a huge production right i mean and they're it's a huge it's a very diverse audience coming to that it's you know designers architects people that have no uh kind of no foot in the manufacturing world and don't really care about it and i think there's even some probably some movie production, you know, because Autodesk is across all those industries, right? They do a lot of different software that has nothing to do with the CAD cam and manufacturing. So, um, you know, I think, I don't know if that's part of why the cost is lower because it's, you know, smaller venues, smaller, it, it's a more focused conference, right? I think it's going to be really good. And I'll put the links in the show note for it because you can still register. Um, it's in August. I can't remember exactly what the dates were. I think it's like five, six, seven. Um, but it, I have the actually I have the dates in the link, so don't worry about that. But I know I'm going. You guys are going. Uh, I think John Saunders mentioned he's going. Hopefully, uh, if there are uh, any other instant machinists that are going to be there over the weekend beforehand, third and the fourth, let us know because uh, Chris and I we might be up for a meetup. Yeah, that'd be dope. 
Um, I was going to actually mention, since the three of us are going, there's a lot of uh, overlap for the classes that I'd like to attend or the talks or whatever. I was thinking maybe we could strategize and we can split up and kind of divide and conquer and then come back and share with each other like the different stuff that we're learning. Because I want to do a lot of surfacing and I want somebody to explain to me assemblies and joints and fusion because that's like one of my weakest things. And um, some of those classes overlap. So I don't know if you guys would be cool with that, like kind of splitting that up and we can get a little bit of everything as as long as you take good notes yeah we we did a little bit of that at au <laughs> oh yeah i'll bring i'll bring a recorder don't worry yeah and i'm hoping uh, just like au that they'll ultimately put out the slide decks um for download for, even if you couldn't attend i'm pretty sure that'll end up on their website at some point um but yeah so i'm, I'm looking forward to doing that in august and then um emo in september right so that's gonna be my two big maker events for me right this year yep definitely not jealous about that uh europe (laughs) trip nope not me (laughs) yeah i can't wait to do that so hey chris um so you guys you you probably heard i was looking at lathes um Mm -hmm. on the last yeah so uh appreciate your help on a couple of models you suggested. So Chris is the one that kind of got me turned on to Proc- is it Proxon, right? Is that the one Proxon. you were? Yeah. yeah, Proxon that you'd work with. Um, I'm looking at a few others still. I don't have any update yet on like what I'll end up with in the garage. I think probably another month and then I'll I'll made my decision. I got some other stuff, some preparatory work to do in the garage before I kind of uh, even know how much space I'll have available. But um, yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. I'm. I'm looking forward to what you end up going with because I might be right behind you. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm really considering that I need a lathe to build one of my products and I might have to just go the cheaper route, which is get like a manual lathe and convert it to CNC first and see how that works. So I'm definitely be following you closely on that. Well, you're the only one of the three of us on this call that has any turning experience. So I don't know what's <laughs> maybe, maybe his first two, uh, two or three YouTube videos should be all about turning. <laughs> my my turning experience is it just feels like somebody lighting a match on my ass and then I'm just kind of like finagling my way through it because I, I, in Fusion it's pretty easy to program since it's only the two axes and, and stuff and you know it's kind of the same concept you don't want to take a, a big depth of cut or whatever as you're going I usually try to take shallow to play to play it safe but I mean I don't know I don't feel like I know anything about it i just kind of get through it and make the parts that uh, like when i made your little adapter plate thing that was like the yeah, first right. thing i ever made so yeah yeah there's, there's a good chance that my first few turning projects are going to be manual on a manual lathe i mean um i'm kind of so right now i'm kind of halfway go, trying to or i'm 50 50 on whether i'm gonna go with the cnc converted machine from day one or actually start with manual and then convert it myself so uh i'll know i'll know and probably uh, an episode or two, I'll have that news. But um, cool. yeah, I think I want at least do a little bit of manual turning or have a machine that could do both. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, how hard could it be? <laughs> would I? Would you even use Fusion? Like, I'm kind of wondering how. Uh, um, it's a different world for me, right? Because I've never done any kind of manual machining. You'll be working off a of print instead. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's all 2D, right? You're gonna. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's weird. Um, yeah. You know, it's a look at a piece of paper and try to make something, you know, your, your calibers are coming out every 15 seconds. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have a DRO 
uh, even even with the DRO micrometer calipers are coming out measuring um, so much more about feel than it is about like feeds and speeds. Like you can kind of as you're pushing or feeding, you can feel if it's going too hard, too fast. You can you can see like if it's chattering or you know anything. So it's a more visceral feeling when it comes to machining yeah. or turning actually. Yeah, I watch uh, Adam Booth do a lot of manual turning, and um, yeah, it's pretty much exactly his his workflow. It's uh, he gets close, and then he starts just walking it in, right? Measuring, walking it yep. in. Yeah, except I'm pretty sure you know, he can do it like one, maybe two final passes, <laughs> and he almost knows like before he puts the mic on there, where he, he's usually right about where what it's going to read. Like, oh yeah, I got you know, like a thou and a half to go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually like, what. <laughs> usually what happens is you're 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 turning you're you're measuring you're turning you're measuring and then you're like okay I've, i have to put anyone in there i went too far and it's like no matter it's like what is it measure twice cut once it's like measure 10 times and cut once because you don't want to mess up that part especially if you're on the last op yeah so for me i mean um you know that's kind of i think uh lathe and turning is going to be just for fun for the most part for me so um I'm okay with all that, like messing up and um, so, like, I, I don't, it'll be a long time if ever before there's like a customer part in that lathe and, and a deadline. Right. So uh, um, I've got some, you know, some good use cases for lathe here, uh, especially around stock prep and some of the other ops that I don't really want to do on the five axis machine um, before, or I want to do before I put it on the five axis machine, I should say. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, that's pretty much it for me. I don't have much of a shop update this week because I was working on, uh, pretty much just working on design side and fusion. Um, didn't even really get much time to make chips this week. Hopefully tomorrow, I have vacation day tomorrow like most, most of y'all and I hope to at least get something cranked out because next week I'm back to making parts for customers. How about you guys? Yeah, I think tomorrow's also going to be a, a catch-up day for me as well. I, I don't think I've made chips in like a whole week. Um, so I really need to get uh, caught up. Um, just got uh, Pavel, the Pocket NC, back from Chris. So um, I got to come up with a Pocket NC project so I don't fall behind you two in uh, five-axis uh, practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know what I'm, what I'm working on next week. I don't think I can show. I'll find out. Actually, I didn't ask, but I assume the answer is no until they tell me it's okay. Um, That's the watch stuff. And then... I know what I've got lined up after that. I definitely can't show because it's under NDA. Um, somewhere in there, I'm going to get my lanyard bead, like the third version of it, I guess. Um, which is really, it's the same thing, same model. I just keep tweaking the cam uh, to make it kind of easier to, to make a bunch of them. But uh, hopefully I'll have that ready to go. And I think that's going to be like the final one before I start making some to send out to some of the folks that asked for them. But I hope to get that in before the next episode and have at least a couple of those shipped out. I actually have two customer parts to make on the Pocket NC as well, so I won't be able to show that. So it'll be interesting to figure out a way to balance like keeping up on the Instagram and posting things, but not showing stuff that you can't show. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, it's usually like, well, I mean, it's a little different from maybe because I have a, you know more than one machine here, so I can usually have like my project running somewhere on one of the machines here and, and the other machine working on something for commercial that I don't show. But um, it seems like almost all the stuff I've been working on lately is V250 targeted parts. So uh, 
yeah, that's, <laughs> there's getting to be a bit of a queue, like waiting for my stuff, right? <laughs> my, my fun stuff. It's kind of waiting for the, waiting for the commercial stuff to get done. But, um, but yeah, I've got, um, I'm probably will have a, a gear order coming in pretty soon based on when I last ran a batch. So I'm kind of getting prepped for that, getting the, getting the stock kind of pre pre ready, I guess <laughs> pre pre, uh, yeah. Or the blanks. Do either of do either of you two think that uh, some of that exploratory V two fifty work might uh, like might need to be distributed? And Chris, is that something you would want to pick up, or are you sort of like saturated with like as you're with you've got as much client work as you want to take on right now? Um, you know, I'm kind of figuring that out as we speak. Like I have two confirmed client stuff that I've already taken on and I, I know I have two more that might be coming. So I definitely don't want to over, over commit and not be able to deliver. And I'm not sure, you know, this is still the kind of the first time with the pocket and see and, and doing all that. Eddie's been doing it for a while now. So I, I need to figure out what is my load limit of what I can take on. And also I have to really look at the project, you know, make sure that the project is something that not only that I can complete, but also something that I would uh, gain from and learn something from. Yeah, I can agree with that sentiment. Um, yeah, I think I learned something from every commercial piece of work I've taken on so far. So push me in one way or the other. And you, know, you mentioned earlier in the show, you were talking about GD&T. Um, so that's like on my list of skills to at least get basic competency on this year, uh, 2D drawing and both reading and creating them, right? So I'm actually pretty comfortable reading them. Um, cause I get, that's something that started when I started taking on third party work, get a lot more drawings, right? Never was really dealing with that when I was just making my own parts. Um, but, uh, GD and T I need to get a little better at, uh, kind of understanding the philosophy behind that and all the symbols and how to measure right. When they specify certain measurements, how to do that with the equipment that I have here or determine that I can't do it with the equipment I have here. There's certain measurements, right. That really just only work on CMM. Um, they can be called out in GD and T. Yeah. yeah, it's like a whole new world of things to learn, you know. And I, I, if I wasn't for somebody at work guiding me, I, it would have taken me a lot longer to figure that out. So, I'll be more than willing to help any way I can. If yeah. you need help. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, um, I know that the good there's some good resources out there for learning, uh, or yeah, kind of a web based training, I guess, for that which is kind of like, we, I guess it would send a basic, it's like a basic machine, machinist introduction to GD&T, right? Um, so I'm going to, I think there's actually, an, I can't remember the name of the Institute. Um, but I think they actually have a couple of like their first two courses are free for anybody. And then if you want more advanced, you can sign up and pay for those. But uh, so I'll probably at least go through the basic ones. And um, I think that's going to help me more on the commercial side of what I do. Actually, I, I also um, recently finished the mold on my own at work and I, I was able to take it home because it's not for like a customer. It's not protected proprietary stuff. It's like for a school that we're helping out. So I can send you that PDF as well and you can take a look at the way that we do it. I'm not, you know, every shop is going to be different. Like every customer and every place has their own way of doing things, but at least you can see the way that we do it. So maybe that might be helpful in some way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the best ways to learn that is to see as many examples of it as possible, right? And then 
that'll at least help you understand where you set up gaps in your knowledge. You know, if you see a new symbol or used in a way you, you don't understand, that's perfect. I appreciate that. How about you, Winston? Uh, what you got going on this week? Anything beyond what we talked about already? I'm just trying to catch up on content. Uh, this week, uh, hopefully, well, tomorrow, but it'll have passed by the time you listen to this. Um, I've got a Delrin uh, material feeds and speeds video coming out. And um, I think I'm going to be releasing a quick little video about the um, sodium hydroxide cleaning end mills trick. Oh, okay. And uh, that, that should be content for this week. And then hopefully purge myself of all the longboard video content footage by next week. And uh, after I have the DIY anodizing down, I can put out the walnut and aluminum monitor stand that I've been working on for like the past month. And like once those two projects are out of the way, I, I can sort of fill my queue back up with uh, new projects. Those two have been sort of floating around and haunting me for a while. That sounds good. <clears throat> oh, one, I think one thing I didn't mention. So I have, um, I started work on a fixture for the Nomad. I haven't used the Nomad in like probably two months. Um, but I finally got, I've been wanting to like finish this fixture so I can start doing some feeds and speeds development in different materials, mostly in wood right now. Like I'm going to kind of start with the, some of the hardwoods and this is just something to help out carbide 3d help them kind of update their their cutting database i think you're doing some of that work too um probably more on the shape echo right i don't know if you're doing well more than nomad only because i have that at work it's it's kind of weird because i don't have a working shape oko per se at carbide 3d we've got multiple shape oko chassis but we're trying to keep some of them pristine for like uh, product photos and stuff so and the ones that that could be run are, are right now kind of covered in random junk from the move that haven't been cleaned up yet so I, when i'm at work and i'm trying to like knock out a video it's usually content for the nomad and then when i get home and do my own projects it's the shape oko so i need to do a better job of sort of load balancing what i do on the two machines okay well i'll share um since you're doing some of this on the nomad maybe I'll share the fixture design with you if you're interested in it, but I'm, I'm just trying to get to, um, like I was going to use the vice, but I actually want to use a bigger work piece. I don't really think it's going to be, um, it's probably gonna be too big to fit securely in the, in the carbide vice. And I'm going to be running like aggressive speeds and feeds. So I actually kind of worked out this little pocket plate, you know, big six plate with some clamps. Um, which I'll probably end going with Mighty Bytes on that. But I want to be able to have like a standard size stock that I can just swap really quickly instead of using, originally I was going to use double sided tape, but like I want to do a bunch of these tests with a bunch of different test blocks. Um, so I'm just trying to get some way to make that as fast as possible, just to swap out the stock and move on to the next test, next cut or whatever. So I have an idea. I think it'll be done by this week and then I'll try to machine it. And see how well it works for a couple of tests, and if it's any good, I'll share it with you. you might want to, might be able to use it for the same stuff you're doing over there. Duly noted. Even though I feel really bad that like 95% of my projects right now have all used double-sided tape as work holding. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like the only reason I'm not using it is because I think this would be quicker. Like if I'm gonna, because I'm, I kind of have to do the testing in between other stuff that's going on. So if I can kind of make it as efficient to just swap out and 
and also I want it to be as repeatable, right? Every, all the conditions, starting conditions to be the same. Um, so double-sided tape probably would work just as well. It's just, I think this would be quicker for double-sided me. Double-sided tape works best if you're only going to do something once. Yeah. But I mean, it actually takes some time. At least the tape I use, like the narrow nitto tape, takes a little while to like, cut it, apply it, you know, cut some strips, get it set up right where it doesn't overlap. Um, just the setup time, right? If I had to do that 10, 20, 30, 30 pieces, it adds up. So uh, as I learned on my gears, <laughs> right? I'm still using double-sided tape for one of the ops on the little Delrin gears. And that's probably, that's a good 20% of the setup time or of the time the ops on the whole thing is setup time, right? Um, dealing with the double-sided tape. So yeah, that was kind of the, I was looking more for efficiency on swapping out stock and making sure it's exactly where I want it the next piece so anyway we'll see i'll have something to share on that once i once i get it done and working and make sure it works yeah i'm kind of in the same boat as you like i i love double-sided tape because it's quick and easy but i i hate it as soon as i have to do it like a second time um and all and also i i'm going to throw it out here to also keep me on it but carbide 3d had reached out to me to make some work holding videos for their channel so I'm going to really try to focus on doing a lot of that stuff on uh, the Nomad and releasing some videos for them to put on their content. And I'm, I hopefully by saying it out loud on this podcast, it'll force me to really pressure myself to make sure that gets done. <laughs> well, I'm thinking maybe I'll just turn this uh, work holding challenge over to you and let you <laughs> figure out the fixture that we can use for this. <laughs> maybe, maybe that'll work. Yeah. Um, Winston's helping me out too. So we got, I got a bunch of ideas. I think I'm ready to wrap it up unless you guys have any Last things you want to talk about? I think we covered everything I want to talk about. Yeah, no, just thanks for having me on again. Really appreciate uh, being on here and getting to talk with you guys. Yeah, I hope to have you on uh, again pretty soon once you've got a little bit of hours on your V250 and see how that's going. Absolutely. All right, well, good night, guys. Yep, good night, Eddie. Good night, Chris. Good night, guys. Take care. <laughs>